Good morning, Keystone. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Josh had mentioned er, uh, previously that I was going to speak, so thank you for showing up. I, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> uh, um, I do. For those of you from Parkview, thank you so much for just being so gracious and allowing us to use uh, your facilities. We do appreciate that. You guys have been an answer to our prayers. Um, Pastor Josh, thank you for the opportunity to preach. And to our unashamed students, you guys rock. That's right. Shout out to the students. Uh, love you guys. And don't forget, tonight we will be meeting uh, my house, 6 to 7. So be there or don't play non-square. There we go. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, as Pastor Josh mentioned, I drew the short end of the straw and uh, drew a difficult topic. This is actually a topic that is, um, can be sensitive, uh, and even in our world today, politically incorrect. But this is the truth from God's Word. And so I titled this, Why? Why are we even discussing spiritual accountability and spiritual discipline? Because I care. Because this is God's word, and we want to make sure that we understand his word clearly. So today we are going to discuss and see what God's word says about, I call it spiritual accountability. Some say biblical accountability. And I say spiritual discipline. You probably heard it as church discipline. Um, and now I know when we hear the words accountability and discipline, we do not typically think of those as positive but trust me, God has given these things to us, and these are for our good. Um, so Keystone, one thing that we will learn today, and I hope that you will understand, that you are not only responsible, excuse me, us as a church, we are not only responsible to preach and teach God's word. We're not only responsible to fulfill the Great Commission, but we are actually called to be marked as a church that has a concern for the spiritual welfare of each and every member. So for us to have a care and concern about each other's spiritual well-being, well, that takes in accountability and, if needed, discipline. So God's word simply goes completely against the grain of our world. In our world today, it is very, uh, the mindset is everything is relative. You know, whatever's, whatever's good for you is, is, might not be good for me, or vice versa. God's word has absolute truths. And these are truths of God's word. And they are for all, whether you're in the church, not in the church, these were written for all people. And... Um, I know that some of us, uh, you know, we think, oh, wait a minute, when you talk about accountability, you mean that I have the right to approach someone who might be in sin and confront them lovingly, gently, humbly? Yes, which means they also have the right to confront you or confront me if I am in sin. No. I know that this goes against the grain of the world because we think, and it's even crept into the church to where we think, you know what, when somebody's doing something, when they've done something, that's between them and God, and I don't have anything to do with that. You know, or some of us are of the mindset of, you know, you just need to mind your own business. 
And, and that's our mindset. And, and we've let that creep into the church to where we honestly think that it is righteous and biblically correct for us to say, that's not my business. That's between them and God. I have no part or no responsibility in that. We're actually going to learn today that that is completely wrong. That it's wrong for us to do that. How? Now, if I am doing something wrong and I am in sin, I do not want my brothers and sisters in Christ who say that they love me to say, oh, that's between him and God. You know, just, just let Jeff go. Let him do his thing. That's between him and, him and God alone. No, I want you to love me enough to grab me and pull me back and say, no, Jeff, this is If you don't understand it, let me put it in a clearer picture. When we leave church today and we step outside on the curb and we're getting ready to walk across the street, if I am getting ready to walk and I don't see a car coming, I hope and pray that, one, you don't push me. <laughs> two, I hope and pray that you love me enough to say, whoa, wait a minute, Jeff, you didn't see that car coming. And I would do the same for you. I hope you wouldn't say, oh, Jeff, you're going to walk out in front of that car. That's your business. That's between you and God. No. You see how silly that sounds? It is the exact same way spiritually. And you know what else? Everything that we've done the past month has led us up to this moment. Really? How? Three weeks ago, Pastor Josh finished, um, or four weeks ago, sorry, one month ago, uh, we had our last outdoor service. He preached uh, from the book of James, and he finished with these two verses. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it states, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He's talking about accountability. When one has turned and one brings them back. We finished James with that, with that topic. As Pastor Josh mentioned two weeks ago, he preached, about, he preached about grace. You have to understand, to handle accountability or discipline, you have to do so with God's grace. It has to be done in grace, in love, with humility. When, oh, and then last week, yeah, Pastor Aaron, he preached about us as a family and our responsibilities as parents, that the church come alongside, but us as parents, it's our responsibilities to um, disciple our kids. Well, as we teach and train, well, sometimes that takes accountability and takes discipline. He finished with these five points. View your family as family. Number two, serve. Three, uh, give. Four, pray. And number five, he finished with number five. Does anybody remember what it is? Other than Keep accountable. Which leads us directly into today. So what we've done over the past month has set us up for this moment. Now understand, discipline, I know, is not a word we think of as loving. But we should. I mean, my responsibility as a parent is to teach, train, and at times potentially discipline my kids. If my kids are doing something wrong on those very rare occasions, 
I know your kids are the exact same way. Very rarely when they do something wrong, right? On those special occasions, is it right for me as a parent to say, that's between him and God? Yep, that's not my responsibility. I have nothing to do with that. No, that's just lazy parenting. It is my job to pull them aside and say, you know what, this isn't right. And I can promise you, me as a parent, I'm the one that uh, will say, what were you thinking, genius? Right? I'm the one that would say, you did what? Are you kidding me? And then I have to backtrack. For my discipline, I'm ready to, pa! Right? I'm ready to discipline and so I have to backtrack because this is done in grace this is done in love but me as a parent to teach and train my kids it's because I love them it's because I want them to grow up and learn what's right and what's wrong and to obey the truths of God's word it's love it's not loving for let me grab the handheld which I hate all right, is that better? I have the yellow one. Is that all good? Thank you. It is not loving for me as a parent to just sit back and let them do whatever. It is loving for me to discipline them. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, it says that God disciplines those whom he loves. In verse 10, it says that he disciplines us for our good. So all of this sounds negative, but it's really not. Because if we look at our world today, they actually need some discipline, don't they? They need to learn and understand what respect is and what truth and absolute truth is. And sad, because some of you, you're the ones that were in the mall, and when the kids are running by, you trip them and say, yep, just like mine. Yep, come get them, here he is. Right, is that what you do? Is that, is that what you do? Is that what kind of parent you are? And it's okay, because we are called to a higher standard. And so we do this for our kids out of love. God does this for us out of love. Why? Because we are called to be a, to, to, and held to a higher standard than what the world is. So if you got your Bibles in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, before we go any, any further, let's just stop and pray. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for um, your word. We thank you, Lord, for being able to come together, Lord, to uh, hear the preaching and teaching of your word. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will remove distractions, Lord, that you will remove my faults, my inadequacies. And, Father, that we will simply hear from you. Father, this is something that is difficult to discuss and talk about can't be sensitive to others so father i pray lord that you will allow us to hear straight from you lord with your love and your grace your mercy your kindness your goodness father i pray lord that you will work in our hearts and that father today lord if someone needs to come to know you or someone needs to turn and repent that father today would be that day in Christ's precious name we do pray, amen. In Galatians chapter six, let's start in verse one. You guys ready? Here we go. Verse one, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, 
each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another, another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. If we see here that Paul is talking to the Galatians church, and he starts out in verse 1 and says, if anyone is caught, this word caught has the mindset and the idea of not just someone who sins, because, you know, we all battle sin, but he's talking about someone who is in unrepentant sin, someone who is continuously doing something and not repenting and not turning back. And then he goes on and says, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual. That word spiritual, he's talking, he's referring back to what he taught in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 and 23 with the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you are thinking back to your Sunday school days and trying to remember those. But Paul is saying that those who are walking in the spirit, those who are spiritual, those who are producing this fruit, those are the ones who should what? He says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, any sin, you who are spiritual, who are walking in the spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of what? gentleness. Why? Because when you approach someone to literally call them out, you have to do so with grace, with love, with care, with concern. So today what we're going to see is in this spiritual accountability and spiritual discipline and I will slip up and I will say biblical accountability. I will say church discipline, but I'm looking at it from a spiritual welfare being. So I will try to remember to say spiritual accountability, spiritual discipline. Um, we're going to see two different things. One is the purpose. I want us to understand what is the purpose of this type of accountability and discipline. And then we're going to look at the process. So first, when we look at the perfect purpose, we have two different types of care. There is a consistent care and a corrective care. The consistent care, that's actually what we're doing right now. Huh? How in the world are we practicing accountability and discipline now? Because God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word works in wondrous ways. And he can show us just by simply reading his word, show us what is right, what is wrong, and hold us accountable. Each week we meet, we preach, we teach God's word. Each Sunday evening the students meet, we teach God's word. It is a constant reminder and training. Each Monday the kids meet uh, online. To do so, our adult groups, I know our adult groups are not meeting right now, but when they did, and Lord willing, they will soon, you guys met and you did what? You taught God's word. It was getting together, it was connecting with one another, it was encouraging each other to what? To grow, to be more like Christ, to turn and repent from sin. This is done on a consistent, weekly, multiple times a week basis. When you sit down and you 
pray and you do your devotions, you're keeping yourself accountable. God's word is using it as accountability and discipline when correction needs to be made. It is something that we automatically already do on a consistent basis. That's why it's so important for you to be here each week so we can encourage one another. That's why it's so important for you to get connected to a connect group so so you can grow and encourage one another. It is something that we need. God has designed us this way. Many people are feeling so disconnected right now because of the pandemic, because they don't feel like they should be here because of immune deficiencies and such, that they're not involved and they're so disconnected right now. So please take this week, reach out to them, let them know that you love them, that you care about them, that you miss them, that you're praying for them. Reach out to them, it's part of your responsibility, not just ours. So one, we have consistent care, something that we are automatically already doing. Then there are times where we have corrective care. Corrective care is spiritual discipline. It is when we are caught in sin and we are away from God. We have to understand that this is not something that's low on the list of this type of accountability. It's something that, well, maybe I'll do it. No, this is actually something that's very important and something that's very, it's really at the top of the list for us to do. It's our responsibility. This was not a topic that the elders got together and said, you know what, what's going to be a great topic to speak about? Oh, yeah, accountability and discipline. That's going to be a great one. That's going to get them excited. Nope, not at all. No one really wants to talk about this, and some of you are probably thinking, you know what, I'm not sure if I've ever heard a sermon or a message or teaching on this ever, but it's important. And we need to understand that. This is something that Christ mentions. You realize that he only mentions the word church two times in scripture from Christ's lips. The first time is in Matthew chapter 16. As he is talking to his disciples and he looks at Peter and he says, who do people say that I am? And they had the conversation. He looks at Peter, who do you say that I am? And what was Peter's response? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are my savior. You are my Lord. And Christ responds and says, upon you, I will build my church. Now, some think that upon Peter, he was building his church. No, actually, actually, it's upon upon Peter's words and his testimony. Why? Because we are all believers. There has been a As long as you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and there was a time in your life where you repented of your sin and you accepted his free gift of salvation, then you are a believer. And there was a time in your life to where you said, yes, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And Christ said, upon this, I will build my church. That's how we are formed. We are believers as brothers and sisters. As we learned last week, we are family. And it is our responsibility to hold each other accountable. We're going to see Christ's words here. He mentions the word church the second time. And when he does so, the first time, he is saying, my church is going to be built upon this, these words. My belief and profession in me that I am Lord, I am Savior. The second time, he's actually given the the church particular instructions. So, in Matthew chapter 18, if you got your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew chapter 18. 
while you're turning. All right, we'll be in verses 15 through 20. Verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Christ's words, he gives us a process of how to accomplish spiritual accountability and spiritual discipline. Church, you have to understand, this cannot happen without relationships. It cannot happen if we simply just come to church, gather, and then leave disconnected. That's why I mentioned connect groups because they are so important for us to build relationships and to be able to be approachable and keep each other accountable. So think about the prodigal son. What happened there? The son went to his dad and said, I want my inheritance. Typically, when you get your inheritance from your parents, my kids will be debt, but there will be some type of inheritance. But when you get an inheritance, when do you, when, when do you typically get that? When someone dies, right? His dad was nowhere near death. So he literally was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. He took his inheritance. He sinned. He lived immorally. He did all sorts of things. And then when he was finally uh, eating and uh, sleeping with the pigs, right? He finally realized that, you know what? My, ser- my dad's servants are- live better than this. I-, I need to go. I-, I need to go home. And he finally was broken and he went home and he re- wanted to repent. But how did his father respond? His father ran to him, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him, called his servants and said, let's celebrate, let's party, let's, let's celebrate because my son has come home. I want you to understand, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior and you were to come forward this morning and make that decision, we would have a man take a, a, another man and lead you through the scriptures, a lady with a lady, and to show you in scripture what it means to be a Christian, to understand what it means to identify as Peter did, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God, to make that claim and to believe that. I promise you, no matter what you've done in the past, you know what we would do? We would celebrate with you. If you are a believer and you realize this morning that you have been living in sin and that you have been unrepentant, No matter what you've done, I promise, you know what we would do with you? We would celebrate, just like the father did to his son. So Jesus gives us the process of spiritual accountability and spiritual discipline. What is that process? There are four steps. The first step is private care. In verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. 
Jesus says, go to them, go to him when he sinned, but do it privately. Just you and you alone. That means we don't go run and tell 10 other people and then we go and approach them. No, we go and approach them by ourselves. We do this and we do this humbly, not with an attitude of arrogance, not with an attitude of pride. Now, if you're like me and you came from a more conservative background, then maybe there were times in your life to where you were approached because you didn't follow certain rules or regulations that they considered biblical, even though they couldn't show you in scripture, it was their preference. And maybe you were approached with a spirit of piety and a spirit of pride and arrogance. We don't do that. We go in humility. We go in grace when we have to approach someone and we do it out of love. We don't do it out of a spirit of arrogance. That's why Paul mentioned what he did in Galatians in verse 3. If you look back in Galatians in verse 3, when we read that, in verse 3 it says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's talking about arrogance. He's talking about pride. And Christ reminds us we are not to do that. You're supposed to go, go to your brother and do it alone. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Jeff. If someone comes to me to explain why I'm wrong or to uh, hold me accountable because of some sin in my life, wait a minute, do you not understand what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? Where he says, look, before you point out someone's speck in their eye, look at the log that's in yours. That's why Paul talked about fruit of the Spirit and making sure you're are walking in the spirit before you approach someone. You have to make sure that you examine your own heart. You have to make sure that things are right with you before you try to make something right with someone else. You cannot have sin in your life, unrepentant, and then try to go and approach someone else. Now you're going to stumble. You're going to end up making things worse. The other reason why we're to do this quietly is because, you know what? You might not have all the information. The information you might have could be even wrong. And you know what? There's always two sides to every story. And so you actually need to go privately, talk with the individual, and hear the other side. This is a process. This is difficult and tough to do. But we are supposed to be adult enough, Christian enough, to be able to handle this. Whether we are being the one uh, to do, do the approaching or whether we're actually being approached. I think about my marriage to Mandy and I. She sees me at my best and my worst. I know some of you are thinking she only sees the best, but she does see the worst. And you know what? I see the same in her, but she's my closest accountability partner. Our marriage is not only built on love, it is also built to point each other to Christ. It's the same way with us as family, brothers and sisters. We are called to love each other and then point each other to Christ. So when we do this, we do this humbly. We do this gently. And let me point out, make sure if you do not, other than your spouse, have an accountability partner. A guy should have a guy, a lady should have a lady. Why? Because you need that. 
There are times to where I need that. There are times in your life you need that. You need someone to hold you accountable. You need someone to call you out. Now understand that here at Keystone, we already practice this. The elders, there are times to where we have had to sit down with each other and have had some tough conversations. And we didn't do it with each other out of pride or arrogance. We did so because we love each other and because we want to hold each other to a higher standard. So understand this is something that we already practice and we're just calling you to do the same. Why? Because Christ commands us to. Step one was private care. Step two, small group care. In verse 16, look with me. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, Christ says, but if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Here, you have to keep the circle very small. Make sure if you take anyone with you, that they too are humble, are gentle, are kind, loving, patient. This is not an opportunity to get others to gang up on someone. This is an opportunity about restoration. We are trying to win the brother or sister back to Christ. And if you're not able to do it and they will not listen to you alone, well, then you take one or two others with you and the small group goes and approaches this brother or sister. Why? Not to gang up on them, not to do anything negative. It's all about restoration and trying to win them back to Christ. Plus, when you go to those one or two others and you explain the situation, they might tell you, you know what? You're making a big deal out of something. This really isn't sin. Or they might say, you know what? You're exactly right. This is sin. We love this brother or sister too. Let's go. Again, this is something that we already practice. We as the elders, there was a time to where we met, we discussed it. And on the way to go and talk to a brother, a phone call happened. So actually, we didn't even really do step two because the phone call, the conversation there, everything was resolved, everything was worked through, everything was mended, and the person was pointed back to Christ. So really, step one happened. So understand, when you go through this process, 99% of the time, it's going to happen in step one. Very rarely will you ever make it to step two. But we are going to go through all four steps because Christ gives these instructions. It is simply because we at Keystone want to make sure that we handle any accountability or any discipline, not only with grace, but we want to make sure we follow exactly what Christ commands. So, step three, church care. We not only have private care, we not only have small group care, then we have church care. In verse 17, Christ says, if a brother or sister refuses to listen even then, then tell it to the church. The word Jesus uses here in Matthew is ecclesia. He's talking about a group of believers, a community. He's talking about us, and it says to bring it before the church. Now, I know some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jeff. Do what? Bring it for, before the church? Are you kidding me? Really? Jeff, this is too far. Some of you were probably thinking it was too far a few minutes ago, but now you're really thinking it. Really? You have to bring it before the church? Well, think about it. We don't have an option to just pick and choose what Christ commands and choose what's comfortable to us. 
We also don't really have another option if this person is in sin, is unrepentant, one person has tried, two people have tried, well then you need to take it further. And this is the step that Christ provides. Now, do not miss the picture. Remember, the goal at every step of corrective church discipline is to restore the brother or sister back to Christ. So understand the picture here. This is not a negative thing. This is not something to handle, to point someone and and humiliate them. This is handled out of love. And the picture that Christ is saying to that person is, look, I love you so much. I am not only willing to send one. I am not only willing to send two or three. I am willing to send my entire body, my entire church to show you that I love you And I want that relationship restored and I want you back. That's the picture that Christ is showing us. That's love. God is all about restoration. He wants a relationship with you so much that he is willing to go that far. And he's done that since the very beginning. Turn into Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. They'll be on the screen as well. This is verses 18, uh, excuse me, 8 through 13. This is right after the fall. This is right after Adam and Eve have sinned. So in verse 8, this is Adam and Eve. It says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees, in the, among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Understand, this is God talking. God already knows what they've done. He knows exactly where they are, but what does he do? He gives Adam and Eve an opportunity to repent, to restore their relationship. So he asks, where are you? What does Adam do? Does he repent? Does he turn? Does he confess his sin? Does he try to restore the relationship? No, Adam continues in unrepentant sin. This is Adam's response. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Did Adam repent? Did he confess? No, so what does God do? God's a patient God. God gives him another opportunity. Um, So God says in verse 11, and he, being God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, God gives another opportunity for Adam to repent to turn, to restore the relationship. What does Adam do? Hmm. Adam says the woman. He blames his wife. Then he says, whom you gave me. She gave me the fruit to eat. So he not only blamed his wife, then he blamed God. He continued in unrepentant sin. But the point is, what did God do? God gave him opportunity after opportunity. God is a patient God. The reason why we go through this process is because God is patient. God is loving, he is kind, he is merciful, and he is giving someone who is in unrepentant sin multiple opportunities by sending one, by sending a small group, by sending the entire body. But if we continue on in unrepentant sin, there are consequences. Step four, and that is church exclusion. To literally exclude them from the church. In verse 17, he says, you bring before the church. If he doesn't listen, 
let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, which means as someone who is not part of the church, a Gentile, a tax collector, they are Jews who have actually betrayed their other Jewish friends and family for themselves for money. Guys, this is tough. This is tough to actually process and go through. And if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I've been in church all my life and I have never seen this. Step one, yeah. Step two, occasionally. Step three, I've never seen it. Step four, never seen it. Do you know why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it's because we live in a sad society of, culture, of church culture to where, you know what, if we don't like something at this church, we're just going to go to another one. And we church hop. Instead of staying in one place and holding each other accountable and building those type of deep relationships. You don't want someone to know your business and if you get a little too close, you pull back. If that still doesn't work, we'll just go to the church down the street and it's sad. We shouldn't be that way. We should realize that we are home. This is family. Through good times, through bad times, we are gonna to stick together and love God and love each other because that is what God has called us to do even in accountability or discipline. The other reason is because maybe the churches that we were a part of, they didn't get to step three or step four because maybe they weren't following what Christ commanded. This is tough. This is difficult. This is the reason why Christ follows it up with the next three verses. Listen to these in verse 18. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What Christ is saying is this is not an easy process. So since it's not easy, I want you to know that when you go, you go with my authority. That's why he says, whatever's bound, whatever's loosed in earth or in heaven, that when you go, you go with my authority. Then in verses 19 and 20, and understand these are two verses that are abused and taken out of context so often. Verse 19, it says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, understand, this is not saying that when two of you are together or more and you guys agree on something, you ask for it, God's going to give it to you. If that was the case, you know, me, Mandy, Josh, some others, we would get together and say, you know what, God, we want Duke to win another national championship, right? Duke should have won it last year, you know, but since the pandemic, we didn't get to play it out. So, God, we're believers. God, we agree. Lord, go ahead and send Duke another national championship. Some of you state fans have been praying for that for years and it still hasn't worked. Sorry. But it doesn't work that way. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, if I can paraphrase, he says, I stand ready to help you with anything you need in this difficult process. He is saying that when you carry out this process with two or three people confronting a brother or sister in sin, be assured that you will uh, experience my presence. In verse 20, it says that um, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How many times have you heard people say, hey, yeah, where two or three are gathered, God's going to be with you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when two or three go 
and confront another brother or sister, you go in my presence. That you will experience power, authority, grace, and love and kindness in a unique and powerful way. He is saying that when you go together, that you have me with you that you will experience me in a unique way. Think about it. If you were in your prayer closet alone this morning, God did not look down and say, you know what? When you add two more, count me in. No, Jesus was there with you. He, people take this out of context because really and truly he is talking about in this process of accountability, when you go out, you have my authority, you have my blessing, and you have my power in a unique way that I will be with you. So, Jeff, we've gone through the process. We understand the purpose. Why? Why would we even do this? First, for the purity of the church. We are the bride of Christ. Christ wants to keep his bride pure. So we keep each other accountable and hold each other to a higher standard so we can keep that true. Keystone Church, God is telling us right now that he holds us accountable, all of us together. We are accountable to God when we leave unrepentant sin in the church unaddressed. In other words, did you realize that where you're sitting right now means that those brothers and sisters sitting around you, you're responsible for their spiritual welfare and their holiness. You will be held accountable for that because God has called us to a higher standard and this is something that we want to practice. Why? For the purity of the church. Two, for the salvation or restoration of the individual. God is all about restoring the relationship but if someone went through all of those steps, maybe they actually weren't saved anyway. So God wants to make sure that the world knows that he loves them it's our responsibility to show it, to tell it. If you're in unrepentant sin and you are a believer and you're backslidden, God wants to restore that. So we go through this process for that. So please hear this. It doesn't matter which situation you're in. You are welcome here. You are wanted here. We love the fact that you are here. Why? Because we want you to know this one called Christ. We want you to know the love of Jesus. We want you to experience a relationship with him in a powerful and personal way. We want you to have what we have. So you are welcome here, no matter your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what circumstances you've been in or come from, you're welcome. So do we not only do this for the purity of the church, for the salvation or restoration. We also do this for the glory of God. It is simply for his glory. It is what he has asked us to do and understand that our world today and some of you could share stories that would make our skin crawl of things that have happened previously in the church, even with leaders. And through that, the world outside has looked into the church and they have a distorted view of who God is. We at Keystone, we wanna make sure that the world, anyone who comes, that they have a clear picture 
of who God is, whether they walk in on the inside or whether they're on the outside looking in, that they have a clear picture of who God is. Why? Because this is for him and him alone and for his glory. We have to understand your sin is what is separating you from God. If you die in your sin, you will be separated from God forever. But God has made a way for you to be forgiven of all of your sin. Jesus has died on a cross for your sin. He sacrificed his life as a substitute for your sin. He's risen from the dead in victory over sin. And anyone who turns from their sin and trusts him as Savior and Lord will be forgiven of all of their sin. At that moment of faith, you will not only be forgiven of all your sin, you will be reconciled and restored to God with a new life in him. Guys, this process, this is the gospel. And last, not only to keep the church pure, not only for salvation or restoration, not only for God's glory, but also for his grace to be shown. This has to be done in God's amazing grace and love and mercy. We would not be here if it was not for God's grace. We can only go through this process by his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that it will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.